When it comes to a company's cybersecurity efforts, a strong partnership between the C-suite and the IT department is a must, but there's also a little bit of a give and take there. We look at the best ways IT teams and executives can work together for the benefit of the organization in assessing risk and determining how to get the best ROI and the biggest bang for their cybersecurity buck. That's next on the Cyber24 Podcast, presented by Valcom. Welcome into the Cyber24 Podcast, the weekly podcast dedicated to helping businesses and governmental leaders better understand the often intimidating topic of cybersecurity so you can make better decisions for your organization. We also look at interesting cybersecurity stories in the news and help make sense of them and see what lessons you can take from cybersecurity incidents other organizations experience. My name is Marty Carpenter. I work in strategic communication, public affairs, and general problem solving. And I'm joined today by our cybersecurity expert panel of one, Dan Schuyler from Valcom. Dan, how are you doing? Doing great, Marty. Great to be back on the pod again. Well, appreciate you being here and lending us your expertise uh, as often as you do. We appreciate that. Uh, all right. Our topic this week, Dan, defining cybersecurity ROI, return on investment. And I mentioned this in the opening because this is just sort of what comes to my mind. And you're the expert. And you're the one who deals with this uh, you know, in your normal course of work. So you tell me how on point or off point I may be. But it feels like in a, nat- in a normal business or in almost any organizational setup where there is an internal IT team tasked with uh, keeping everybody's devices running and doing it in a secure way and protecting con- customer data, all those things that the IT team has to do. And then often a C-suite that has uh, you know, just enough information about this to maybe be dangerous or problematic. And you know, for the IT team, it seems to me like success is pretty straightforward. Like, is everyone's device working and uh, have we not been hacked? Right. And so that's if you had to like boil it down to two two bullet points, that's probably what the C-suite would say. And so if the IT team is successful in that, that's great. But then uh, all executives will then have this uh, natural desire or just habit of saying, all right, well, we haven't been hacked. So are we spending too much? Are we going about this? Clearly, we're getting the outcome we want, but are we getting it in the most efficient manner? And that's, I think, where you could maybe get some push and pull on like, are we spending too much on this? Are we buying all the whiz bang technology when we don't need quite all of it? And I, I just imagine that there's a little push and pull there. So with that in mind, I guess from your experience, do you see that as sort of a natural uh, give and take, push and pull that comes in these discussions about how do we properly allocate the right resources to uh, handle our cybersecurity needs? Absolutely. The situation you described is commonplace where the IT department is trying to negotiate an IT budget with senior leadership. And um, one of the one of the biggest struggles we see with regards to that is the ability to define the risk. And I, and I think the C-suite is happy as long as they haven't been hacked. Um, clearly that's a good thing, but unless you understand what the risk is to your organization, you can't define an IT security budget that is going to uh, be satisfactory to meet the needs of your organization to reduce the risk um, of a potential uh, incident to your organization. And so one of the things that has to start early in the process is a risk assessment. 
And this is a collaborative effort uh, among the whole entire organization. It's not just something that the IT department does. And the reason why you want to do a risk assessment is to determine what the impact would be to your organization. When I say impact, a security incident, what type of impact a security incident would have to your organization with regards to your brand, your reputation, revenue, the, the cost to remediate the incident, le any specific legal ramifications, um, compliance requirements or fines, and the impact to your internal customers, which would be your employees. So that's the first step in defining what an IT budget needs to be, because you need to be able to attach a dollar figure to that risk. You, you can't necessarily quantify it because it's difficult to quantify what the damage to your brand would be or what the damage to your revenue would be, but you could certainly qualify it. And based on that, you can then take the next step to determine um, what type of security controls you need to implement within your organization to manage or remediate that risk. Yeah, so it's sort of a matter of determining what that risk is. Is, is Another way of saying that is maybe deciding what it is you actually need to, uh, well, I, I guess a part of that, or, or maybe it's a tangent to that, is determining what it is exactly that you need to protect. That's maybe part of that that setup or that process of determining what your risk is, right? Because different companies will have different levels. Uh, absolutely. And depending on the size of the organization will depend on how complex of a task it is to do a risk assessment. Um, many large organizations will contract that out to a third party because it is a complicated or a complex task. There's a there's several steps that you need to take, and we can we'll talk about those. But a smaller organization can do an internal risk assessment, and the steps to doing that vary depending on which framework you look at with regards to conducting a, a cybersecurity risk assessment. But they really do fall into a couple of buckets, and you mentioned this knowing what you're trying to protect. So inventorying your assets, and we're talking about assets across the whole entire organization. We're not just talking about physical assets, we're talking about uh, data assets, et cetera, et cetera. So what kind of information are you trying to collect and protect? Um, where are you storing that information? Um, what type of assets do you have that you're trying to protect servers, et cetera, et cetera? And so you're doing this inventory, if you will, of the things you're trying to protect. And then the next step is to assess the risk. So which systems um, are critical to business operations? What data is critical to the business operations? And then you need to analyze the risk. So what is the likelihood or the probability that a risk would impact those um, assets that you've defined and those risks that you've defined. Um, and then after you've done that, you determine the type of security controls that you want to implement. So you make a list of, you, you make a recommended list of security controls. And then to your point, with, regard, with regards to the return on the investment, you need to do a cost benefit analysis because, and I'm just pulling numbers out of the air here. Yeah. We, we don't want to spend $1,000 on a security control to lower our risk by $1,000. That's just a terrible ROI. We want to spend $1,000 to lower our risk by 10, 20, or $30,000. That's a much better ROI. 
And so based on, you know, the inventory of the assets, uh, analyzing the risk, assessing the risk, determining the security controls, then you do your cost benefit analysis to say, what controls do we need to implement to return to lower our risk the most and to get the best to your point early on bang for our buck or best ROI. Yeah. Even once you've determined what your level of risk is, there's still this element of determining your, your risk appetite, right? So like you can, you can boil it down to dollars and cents and you can say for our company, this makes sense or, or whatever, but you're still, there's a, uh, an individual element, I guess, or maybe, maybe even an organizational leadership element of that to say, I'm comfortable or as a leadership team, we're comfortable with this level of risk, even though it may be beyond the, the narrow margin of like what you would normally say, Hey, this is, this, this costs us $10,000 to implement this protection, but it would only save us $10,000 if we need it. Eh, you know, there's a dollar and cents that, but there's also like just a natural risk appetite, right? Of like, well, I'm, I'm willing to roll the dice a little bit more in that area. Do you see a lot of that when you work with companies? Yeah. So you hit on a key component of the risk assessment. So there are three types of, or four categories um, with regards to a risk assessment. You want to either um, avoid the risk you want to accept the risk, you want to transfer the risk, or you want to remediate the risk. And we talked about this early on. If you're spending $1,000 to lower your risk by $1,000, you probably want to accept that risk because there's no sense in spending $1,000 to lower your risk by $1,000. Yeah. Now you can transfer the risk and the most common uh, method for transferring the risk is to shift that over to an insurance company. That's yeah. why you buy cybersecurity insurance. And then you uh, can uh, avoid the risk completely by removing whatever risk you found within the organization and just saying, you know what, we're not going to take that on. We're going to uh, uh, avoid it completely. We're going to get rid of that risk. And then the last thing you can do is remediate the risk by installing security controls that will defend against the risk. So those are the four categories that your risk appetite falls into. Yeah, let's take a quick break, but first a reminder that Cyber24 is presented each week by our friends at Valcom. Valcom is a Utah-based IT solutions and services provider with a drive for getting IT right. From ironclad security to computing and beyond, Valcom's 35 plus years means they have the experience and the expertise to help your business from desktop to the data center. We'll be back with more on the Cyber24 podcast presented by Valcom right after this. Do you ever wonder what you would do with $12 billion? Well, that's the amount of money that business email compromising has cost businesses in just the last five years. Barracuda Sentinel detects threats that traditional email security systems can't. It integrates directly with Microsoft Office 365 APIs to detect attacks coming from both internal and external sources. It uses artificial intelligence to detect signs of malicious intent and deception within every email with virtually no IT administration required. Check out vlcmtech.com slash barracuda-sentinel to find out how you can save your company from a hacker's $12 billion business. That's vlcmtech.com slash barracuda-sentinel, B-A-R-R-A-C-U-D-A hyphen S-E-N-T-I-N-E-L for more information. Check it out today. While many of us give our office printers human names like Becky, George, or Linda, did you ever imagine that your printer could self-heal like a human? 
HP Enterprise Printer can detect and self-heal from malware, and because they have the industry's only upgradable firmware, new security features can be added over time. HP printers allow you to set, configure, and automatically maintain over 200 printer security settings with their Jet Advantage Security Manager. Valcom is proud to partner with recognized de facto industry standard for printing. Secure your printers now at vlcmtech.com slash print dash copy. That's vlcmtech.com slash print dash copy. Welcome back to the Cyber24 podcast presented by Valcom, joined by Dan Schuyler today from Valcom. I'm Marty Carpenter. Uh, Dan, in the last segment, as we've talked a little bit about calculating a return on investment for our cybersecurity expenditures and doing that risk assessment that helps you understand what it is that you need to buy and what it is you need to have in place and what your appetite for risk is. I I imagine uh, when there are... uh, technology companies that come and sell security technologies, security solutions, uh, that from time to time, there are those who might try to sell something or package something as like the, the silver bullet, right? The, 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 this handles all your problems. And I suppose for our audience, business leaders and such, uh, it's probably good advice to be a little wary of that. Yeah, absolutely. There, and we've talked about this before, Marty, there is no silver bullet or one size fits all cybersecurity solution because every organization has unique cybersecurity needs. Uh, A healthcare provider has different cybersecurity needs versus a financial uh, organization like a bank versus a auto dealership. They all have unique data security and cybersecurity needs. And that's to your point, there's no silver bullet, no one size fits all technology. And The way to, again, I know we're going back to what we talked about in the first segment, first segment, excuse me, the way to determine what those uh, security controls are is to perform that risk assessment, to understand what your risks are, uh, to understand what your risk appetite is. um, And then based on that, you can start looking at the security controls that will best meet your data security uh, needs and develop a robust security posture for your, that's unique to your organization. Yeah. Um, we talked about measurement to some extent, and I mentioned this kind of in the opening that like for, for, I think a lot of folks who are C-suite executives with their organizations, when it comes to the IT and the cybersecurity team, and, you know, sort of the premise of our entire show here is this is a really intimidating topic and let's try to make it less so. Um, but things can seem kind of intimidating for those folks. And so they, they, they sort of just let that department go do its thing, right? And, and the one measurement they have is, uh, have we been hit by a, a cyber breach? You know, we've we been hit by a hacker in some way. And so success is, everything's running fine and failure is if everything's not running fine, but there have to be better ways or indicators that business leaders should look at and say, these are the things we really should look to measure in order to determine the effectiveness of our cybersecurity strategy. So presuming that's right, maybe you could give us some examples or some things that a business leader should be looking for. Yeah, I hear it all the time. We've never been hacked. And my response is, well, how do you, how do you know you've never been hacked because um, hackers don't come into your organization raising a red flag and firing off fireworks. But to your point, most good security controls 
that an organization has in place or should have in place will provide um, analytics and data to help you to, deter to determine how well those security controls are working. So for example, email security, next generation email security controls will tell you the number of uh, phishing emails that were blocked in a given period of time, who they were targeting, the type of attack that the emails were trying to use. And you can use those metrics to determine how successful those that particular security control, in this case, an email security solution has been or how effective it has been in stopping a potential incident. And those are things that you want to look at and evaluate on a periodic basis to determine, are we getting, again, to your, to your uh, analogy, the best bang for the buck? Because if you purchase a security control and six months to a year uh, down the road, you look at those analytics and you're saying, well, this control really isn't doing much for us because we're not seeing uh, any attacks the metrics, the analytics aren't showing any attacks, then it might be uh, it might be an option to remove that control or find something better or something that fits better for your organization's data security needs. And so again, most of these uh, next generation security controls will provide you with those analytics that you need to that you can use to determine if you are getting a good ROI from that security control. And it's something that you should be analyzing like I mentioned, on a periodic basis, um, so you can you can determine how successful that control has been at preventing a potential security incident. Yeah. So what I'm hearing today is that while it is an important function of the ex executive team to sort of uh, in, understand what the ex expenditures are that go toward cybersecurity and and making sure that a they're sufficient, um, and also understanding that yeah they want to spend the right amount and not necessarily two times the right amount, that there are, A, there are things that that can be measured and, and ways that can be presented to them. And I guess the big theme would be, and this probably in, applies to our program from episode one to episode 120 now, uh, that while it might not be a native topic for a lot of executives, that it, it something that you do need to spend more time understanding. And so if you have questions about whether or not you're getting the right return on investment, there are ways that that can be measured, right? This is as much a science as it is an art, maybe more so a science than an art. And your IT uh, leaders can show you uh, with some metrics, hey, here's how we're actually performing. Here's how we're doing. And here are the things we're protecting against. And here's why we have this in place. And there needs to be, I guess, a culture that, uh, it's old school to say the IT team handles that and that it's it's new school and the cool way to do it now is to say, I want to understand this to the extent I need to to make the decision and uh, and building that type of relationship between that department, you know, the IT department and the, uh, the executives who are worrying about where all the money gets allotted, uh, that that's an important thing to have in place. Yeah, absolutely. That old school philosophy of just let the IT department take care of it is slowly eroding away, thankfully. And we are starting to see uh, communication in both directions and um, consensus and collaboration between IT and the executive team because um, cybersecurity is a collaborative effort. It's, it's, a, it's an important component 
of any organization's strategy with regards to successful growth. Um, and so, yes, those barriers are starting to break down. We're starting to see this coalescing of, of the C-suite and the IT organization having collaborate collaborative discussions. Um, and so to your point, there are tools out there that the IT department can utilize um, to analyze the data to determine what our ROI is with regards to our security posture and our security controls to help that organization pivot if they need to with regards to changing their security structure, implementing new security controls, maybe augmenting a certain security control, or in some cases, if the control isn't providing a good ROI, eliminating that control. So there are tools out there. There's The organization should have the data that these tools can use to make that analysis and provide that uh, feedback and that uh, data to the organization to help them make those decisions. Yeah. All good stuff, Dan. Thanks so much for your expertise on this. Before we wrap up for the week, let's take our weekly pause to share with our audience something that we find to be cool. So we'll do the segment and I'll go ahead and start because I, you, it looks like you might need to think through this for a second. But uh, uh, let me start with what's cool this week. And uh, Dan and I were about 20 minutes delayed in uh, recording today's podcast because uh, I had to uh, deal with a, uh, a, a repairman, an installation of a new garage door opener. And I'll just say, this is you know, uh, this happens, I think, from time to time. Something's been in your house for a number of years, and then it needs to be replaced. And when you go to replace it, you realize, wow, there's actually been a lot of cool advancements in this particular technology. I, I noticed this with water heaters, so we had those go out. And now today it was a garage door opener, and the entire unit had to be uh, replaced. And, uh, you know, frankly, there are some kind of cool things that go with it now. So I'm always one of those guys that wonders just after I've gone around the corner and can't see the garage door anymore, did I really close the garage door? And uh, now not only will it close automatically after a set time, uh, but I can control it from an app. And so this is another, uh, well, we, we should maybe call my portion of this segment every week, Marty's foray into the internet of things. Uh, Cause I just seem to be constantly amazed by things that I haven't had to replace for a long time that suddenly I have had to replace. So I, I'll say this, I had the, garage door opener in place for about five minutes before I jumped on this. So I can't say that I've totally uh, been able to use all the features, but from what they showed me, uh, I would say that what's cool this week, hey, a new garage door opener, because they're a little bit better than just opening and closing and uh, you know the sensors at the bottom. Uh, they've got some other cool features. So for me, that's what's cool uh, this week. All right, Dan, did I go on long enough that you've you've got something in mind now? Yeah, and this is something that's still evolving, and it may come out with the next Apple Watch. And um, I, I know I'm going back towards Apple again, but I mean, if we've looked at the evolution of the Apple Watch and what it can do from the first generation to the current generation, um, it's pretty amazing because now you can you can measure your heart rate, you can measure your O2 saturation, and there is rumor that the next Apple Watch will have the ability to measure blood glucose for people who are diabetic. And that yeah. that is going to be a game changer. Yeah. Um, clearly, the Apple Watch is serving um, a lot of functionality in, in not just telling the time, but its capability to act as a computer on your wrist. And the things that it can do are evolving um, very quickly. And for the next version to be able to potentially, this is rumor, measure blood, blood glucose will be a game changer. 
And I know that Apple is releasing an update to the watch OS in the next month or so that will be able to um, unlock your iPhone. So when you're wearing a mask, uh, as long as you're holding the iPhone up to your face and it does an initial scan and you've got your watch on, yeah. it will actually unlock your iPhone for you. So you don't have to enter your code because you can't use face ID anymore. So that'll be a cool feature. Cause I don't know if about you, but if you've had your mask on before and you try to unlock your iPhone with face ID, well, it doesn't work. And then you have to enter your code and that's a pain. And so having the watch do that, that'll be pretty cool. Yeah. Anything that makes us, uh, well, I love the watch incorporation, right? I love that when I go to buy something on my, even on my iMac and it says, Hey, tap your watch to see if you really, if this is really you and you want to make this purchase. It could be a little bit faster on opening my, uh, iMac, like waking it up. Sometimes it seems like, well, that took longer than if I just typed in my code, but, um, I, overall I'm with you. Like the, the more that all of these devices can be sewn together and work together and do cool things like, uh, the, the health measures that come with uh, the Apple Watch, all very cool stuff. So I'm with you. I never apologize for saying cool stuff about Apple products on this show. You know, might as, might as well. Maybe someday they'll send us some free ones. Who knows? You never, that never know. That would be awesome. <laughs> that would be what was cool that week, for That's sure. Right. We definitely That's go right. on and on about it. We might do the whole show about it. Who knows? <laughs> uh, Dan, thanks so much. Appreciate your uh, your insight this week. Always a pleasure. As we wrap up for this episode, I want to thank our sponsors at Valcom. At Valcom, you get much more than a dedicated IT retailer. They become an extension of your IT team. Whether you're a startup or an enterprise, Valcom has the technical sales and engineering expertise to make your business more effective and more productive. Check them out at vlcm.com to learn more about Valcom's end-to-end solutions, the technology vendors they partner with, and so much more. That's vlcm.com. I also want to thank our supporting sponsors. The U- I also want to thank our supporting partners, the Utah Department of Technology Services, the Kem C. Gardner Policy Institute, Secuvant, the Utah Attorney General's Office, the Utah Department of Public Safety. And you can follow us on Twitter at Cyber24 underscore, or you can follow us on Facebook as well. Hit us up in either place to let us know what you think, or if you have a topic you'd like to discuss, you can also rate and review the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Five-star reviews are appreciated. Thanks, everyone, and stay safe online. <laughs>